You are listening to the Mary Jane Society podcast, brought to you by Studio 420, a cannabis-friendly marketing agency. I'm your host, Pam Schmiel, Marketing Director for Studio 420. Today, we meet Natal Partonsky. He's a former Nassau engineer turned cannabis entrepreneur who raised a few million dollars to start his company, Sorting Robotics. He invented a patent-pending infused pre-roll machine and recently introduced automated robot machine that can fill and cap vape pens. My favorite part of the conversation was when he explained how infusing pre-rolls changed the physics when it burns and how he sees the market moving toward rosins. Natal explains how highly variable IoT manufacturing is the future and his plans to build it. Let's meet Natal. Hi, Noto. Hey, uh, it's just Natal. Okay, I knew I was gonna yeah. get it wrong, but I thought I would just throw it out there. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Um, yeah, so where where are you today? I, I didn't uh, get to... Oh yeah, um, I live in LA. Oh. Yeah, and my, uh, my company is based out of Van Nuys and my my house is in Sherman Oaks. So like I'm actually at my house right now because I figured it'd be like the quietest the quietest setting. I wouldn't get interrupted or anything. <laughs> Where are you based on? I'm in Manhattan. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like uh it's different. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've been over in, to um LA. So okay, cool. Yeah. All right, just wondering where where you were. Um, sure. I thought we could just start with, yeah, um, is just an overview of your company, uh, sure. sorting robots, and um, kind of really interested in the unfused pre-roll machine that you, I think, just launched recently. Is that no? We launched it back in 2021. Okay. We um we just recently launched our uh, vape cart filler, like uh, in Q2 of last year. Oh, okay. So that would be Q3. Okay. Oh, actually, that'd be great to touch on too. So yeah, cool. if you, I, I would just love to hear an overview myself of uh, sorting robots and what you're doing and how long you've been in this space. Cool. Well, um, so sorting robotics uh, started by me and my co-founder uh, back in 2018. At the time, we were working at uh, NASA JPL over in Pasadena. And um, like I was working at the time on a device that is currently producing oxygen on the surface of Mars. It's currently on the, the Mars rover. Um, so uh, was working there, me and my co-founders decided that we wanted to you know, go and do something on our own because um, uh, he was doing stuff in uh, computer vision, uh, finishing his PhD, and my other co-founder and I were both working at JPL. And yeah, we kind of were getting a little bit over the aerospace kind of grind. And um, and so then in 2018, we started this company. Initially, we actually weren't focusing on the cannabis industry. We were focusing on um, inventory management for e-commerce. So our first device we built was actually uh, a robot that did uh sorting for like pokemon cards and magic the gathering cards it was mm -hmm. quite interesting and then um eventually we sold that to some investors and then some uh and they sold it to a bigger company and then that company got acquired by ebay last year so that was pretty cool oh that's great yeah um and then uh and after we sold that 
um, we kind of focused specifically on the cannabis industry. So we did that for about 18 months or so. And then in 2019, 2020 timeframe, um, we raised a few million dollars to focus on cannabis. And then uh, we went kind of all in on making robots for cannabis manufacturers. And that was around the 2020 timeframe. And we also helped uh, build a cannabis co-packing company um, in Oakland. And that kind of gave us the other side of the picture. Like, like I was the CEO of a cannabis co-packing company for about three years um, until we eventually uh, sold that to a dispensary group. And, um, but yeah, that like allowed us to have like an R&D facility. It allowed us to like learn how cannabis companies are actually run, how kind of crazy the California market is. And, um, and, and that was like our focus for a lot of 2020. And then we started kicking off research and development projects on the robotic side. So the first of which was a device called the Jico robot. And that's the one that injects cannabis concentrate into pre-rolls or blunts, basically just like going down the center and like leaving uh, a column of concentrate down the center of like a blunt or joint or, or whatever. And and that just came out from us doing co-packing for other brands in the Bay Area and um, and just finding out that it was just so difficult to do the infusion process like reliably and like cost effectively. So we kind of said, OK, yeah, we don't want to use a ton of people and we want it to be like precise. So like, let's use some robots. So we started developing that in 2020 and then we eventually launched it in 21 after putting it in our co-packing facility and kind of like testing things out and um then in 22 we launched a vape cartridge filling system and the story for that was like very similar like we worked with a large vape cartridge manufacturer um to kind of build something that was you know five times faster and 10 times more precise than like the current state of the art kind of like the the generation two product for the industry. Um, and we launched that at the end of last year. And um, yeah, that's kind of like a very high level overview of the company. Yeah. It's cool or lucky for you that you're innovating two of the top uh, consumption methods, infused yeah. pre-rolls and vapes. Are yeah, I mean, um, when we first started doing the infusion machine, it was really like not super popular. Like people were like, why are you injecting joints? I'm like, well, so you can infuse them <laughs> because um, infused joints on like the East Coast or some of the new markets like wasn't even like a thing. And it was kind of starting to become a thing in um, California. Like I would say in 2020, there was um, like tarantulas and there was like uh, like fuzzies um but they weren't like incredibly popular right like now jeters is like the you know kind of household brand-esque name mm -hmm. um but it, like jeters wasn't even the first one to do it by far right and um which i don't know because coming from the east coast you're right it really did not trickle over here until i'm gonna say last year the year before when you kind of mm -hmm. first started hearing about it on the east coast oh yeah yeah i mean i would say the very first kind of Keef on the outside type of joint um, was like Tarantula from the like Ganja Gold group. Mm. Yeah, they were kind of doing it. 
and then they started kind of co-packing for some other brands but a lot of people were like yeah keep on the outside that's dumb like why are they doing that um and and then people started like kind of experimenting with thca mixed into it and i had a couple customers that like we would make pre-rolls for them and we'd mix in some thca powder and then it was like kind of harsher but it had the higher thc percentage um and then there was fuzzies which like they were doing a huge amount of volume um in california part of the sublime group and um oh they had like a very big acquisition in california um like midway through last year and um and so like it was kind of like first tarantulas then sublime kind of was doing fuzzies and they started co-packing for like a lot of other customers and like that was kind of the infused market and then um i guess jeter's like really liked the fuzzy style pre-roll and had extremely good marketing and like an aggressive uh you know cost of goods inventory spend and um they kind of went really hard in california and that seemed to pay off pretty well and right um and now they're kind of like you know expanding out right right i heard they're really popular in michigan as well um yeah who's using the uh gico joint infuser just in california or no no we have customers um all over the country and a few in canada as well mm. so um in canada we partner with like co-packers um and our biggest co-packer is a group called like motif labs um they're really big uh they co-pack with a bunch of different brands um they yeah they've been one of our early customers and they kind of like um have been like great partners along the way and then in um the united states i mean we have machines let's say in like 15 of the 20 or so rec states now mm -hmm. and, and so yeah and um can you t give a cost of what it, it would be for someone to buy your machine and yeah the robots in like the 100k range Mm -hmm. um there's a different a bunch of different ways you can purchase it um one thing that we're looking really deeply into is like the robotics as a service model where instead of you know you buying like a lump sum purchase of a robot um you just pay us like a small upfront fee like a setup fee and then we charge on a price per unit and uh we've licensing. been seeing that has been very interesting like a licensing model licensing yeah like effectively like a licensing model i mean can't not really a licensing model because um we can't participate in um a plant touching entity's revenue share because mm. then that would mean we're a 280e company uh so it's more like it's just like a service model it's like a lease it's more like a lease than it is a licensing okay 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 yeah. oh that's a good distinction right of course well you know what are some of the issues out there that you're solving or what i've heard people complain about in the past was it you know it the concentrate dripping so i think they were using hash not getting an even uh distribution throughout you know the pre-roll um and some burning issues so are those problems that you're hearing out there are there others and and what kind of challenges are you still trying to solve with your machine that's so like we kind of knew all those problems when we started out because we were co-packing pre-rolls um up or like i was co-packing pre-rolls up in oakland um with my team up there and um yeah we kind of like set out to make this a solution to that sort of uh systemic issue and so it's actually kind of cool uh when you inject a pre-roll 
especially when you inject it with our machine. Because um, some people try to hand inject it and it doesn't really work very well because you need this even distribution along the length of the joint. Because if you don't, it starts getting really weird and like it doesn't work very well. Um, but uh, one thing that uh, happens when you do the injection of a joint is that it actually uh, changes the physics of how a pre-roll really burns, right? Because in one scenario, you'll have uh, like just a bunch of flour, right? And you'll assume that at the cherry area, it's kind of like a flame, right? And so from in engineering terms, you'd call that like a flame front as it burns through the pre-roll. And if you just have a normal pre-roll, um, that flame front is not even, right? It's not very flat because there's like air pockets with the flower. So you can imagine that there's like tendrils of hot air, like reaching their way back. And it's like decarbing at like different temperatures and stuff like that. And if there's a, too much air, then it'll run and it'll just kind of go. And um, so those are kind of like issues. But when you do the injection of a pre-roll and you leave like a column of concentrate down that center, then what you actually end up doing is you end up um, like kind of normalizing that flame front because instead of the flame front kind of having these like tendrils that are still kind of going through the flower section, when it goes to the concentrate section, it's like this solid core. So it like burns a lot more linearly and it doesn't have like the ability to uh, burn at different temperatures because it needs to get through the first set, the first like cross section of the core before it keeps going down. And so there's a few things that happen with that, right? One, it actually smooths out the smoke because you have this like even burn of like high grade concentrate down the center. So it's kind of like you're combining the smoke from like a normal pre-roll and the smoke from like a dab rig. And the dab rig smoke is like the pure stuff that you can have. So you kind of like mellow out the smoke. Additionally, you reduce the chance of running because you kind of drive all the heat and like what we'll call like in engineering terms, like the enthalpy, which is like the internal energy of things, but just like any piece of matter. You drive all the enthalpy down the center as opposed to driving it along the sides where you have like the dried paper, like very like kind of easy to burn paper. So it kind of controls the burn. So instead of burning from the outside in, it really burns from the inside out. Mm -hmm. So you're solving a lot of these like burning problems just by the actual uh, manufacturing method. Um, yeah, so it's been it's been quite interesting because when we first started, we were just thinking, how do we get concentrate into a pre-roll that doesn't take like a ton of labor and isn't like, you know, 10 or 20% spillage? And right. then after we started running it, we're like, oh, this is interesting. Like, why does that happen? And I would talk to some of my NASA friends and we'd be like, I don't know. Like, yeah. Oh, that's so funny. I mean, what are you hearing out there as far as where is everybody kind of looking next to keep that train going? Because it it's so, seems to be popular still. Yeah. So, I mean, we do anything that can melt. And when I say concentrates, it's not just like distillate. It's like rosins as well or live resins um, or liquid diamonds. So um, our our system is actually really good at doing rosin. Um, so that's and that's also something I kind of see the market moving towards. Uh, a lot of people are trying to do more solventless, like kind of the future solventless sort of thing. Yes. So you can go through solventless and then you can like get it like pen ready, I guess, and decarb it. 
But if you do that, like if you take like a high grade rosin, like let's say like a fresh press cold cure rosin in LA, that's like $10 a gram wholesale. It's like pretty expensive. Um, and then you decarb it, you kind of like kind of degrade the material pretty significantly. So our system, the way it's structured is that um, it allows you to just like warm up that rosin and then uh, push it through the system. And then when it goes into the joint, it just like kind of melts back into the rosin format, um, as opposed to like decarbing it completely um, and then turning it into like a kind of clear distillate sort of piece of material. And you can do decarbing where like you preserve a lot of the terps, but I mean, it's very difficult to do that and pretty expensive. Um, and you still degrade it like a little bit, right? And so, so yeah, we're able to do it with like minimal to no decarbing of the concentrate. And I see a lot of people doing that. Like I would say the past, like 50% of our like past machines, people are buying the machine strictly to inject rosin and like make little donuts in their joints. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Little donuts? Like yeah, so that's like a trend. I don't know. Um, I don't oh, know if they have that in New York. Um, it's uh, started out here. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. Um, so a donut is when, a, like a a blunt or like a big joint will not burn in like an even kind of white ash. It'll burn, but then the center of it will be like a bright red, and then you'll have the white ash ring around it. And it'll be bright red in the center because that's where all the concentrate is. So like I mentioned, it like pulls all the energy to the center. And so you'll have like a little bit of like a donut looking thing. There's something more dramatic called like a hash hole where they're actually like rolling snakes of rosin and like by hand putting them in the center of joints. And um, and then that will actually create like a like a massive void inside the joint when it's burning because you'll like wrap the flour around the concentrate. And then as the concentrate melts away, there's like nothing left. So our machine doesn't do that because like it's not possible to do that um, in an automated way, but it will like create a cool like donut. And that's like a cool little effect that you'll see where it's like the white ash ring in the outer and then like the red hot center, which is kind of, it's just cool. Yeah, yeah, it is. No, it's definitely. And you know what I, I wanted to ask you also is you mentioned a lot, you know, you're working with co-packers. What is exactly the co-packing, pre rolling pre-rolls or you're just packing them into to packaging or is it just shipping co-packing? Okay, so co-packing in general um, is like when people will, like what we did up north in Oakland, um, like what we did, uh, we were kind of on the flower side of co-packing. So people would drop off their um, like dried indoor flower. And then we would, we would take it, uh, we would buck it, we would either hand trim it or machine trim it. Then we would take the A's, we'd put it in our automated jarring line, and then we would jar them. And then we'd take all the B's and then we'd, like the B grade flower, like kind of the smaller ones. And then we would uh, make pre-rolls out of them. And then all the trim, we would give it to uh, like a partner who would do the extraction and they would make like, um, they'd make like live resin or they'd make, but they probably make live resin. They'd probably be making just like, um, like a, like a BHO extractor, like a batter or like a crumble or something like that. And then we take the crumble back and then we'd put them into little jars. And so our customers there, um, 
would basically give us dried flour and then we would give them back retail ready goods that they could then ship to dispensaries. So that's like the co-packing model. Um, sorting robotics though, we don't like do any co-packing. Um, we just provide the equipment for people to do it and like some guidance and stuff like that. Right, so you're, yeah, not plant touching. Right, I guess I, yep. I assumed that every uh, everyone was doing their own processing, I guess, um, but that makes sense that you send it out, you farm it out, and that's what someone does for multiple different brands and companies. Is that right? Is that how it works? Or yeah, you yeah, yeah. No, we serviced um, up at uh, that company. We had about like um, 30, 40 clients that would come in come in and out and then we had about 10 clients that we like kind of consistently serviced you know every month okay cool since you seem to be you know raising money and and things like how, how do you what do you see as far as others in the industry how you're going to move forward with it and where you see the challenges and hope <laughs> yeah i mean um i actually know like someone who closed the deal within the first 30 days of this year so um <laughs> yeah so, like i mean but they're um, they're on the east coast and you know, I mean, I think they were working on that deal for a long time, so who knows? Um, yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, trying to raise money in this environment sounds uh, like a nightmare. Um, I don't know uh, what that looks like for the rest of this year. I can't imagine it's any, you know, it's going to be any better. Um, and like in terms of what that means for us, one, a lot of our customers actually cash flow their way into buying equipment, especially like in new markets. Um, Cause when a new market happens, like the margins are pretty insane, um, at least for the first, you know, 18 to 24 months. And then they tend to like mellow out as it matures. Um, and so people just like, will buy our equipment, you know, outright with cash. Um, and, 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 and that like works pretty well. Um, and then in terms of like more mature markets, that's why we have kind of decided to pull in this like robotics as a service model. That way the cost of acquisition is so much lower, like 20 grand, 20 grand is nothing in the cannabis industry, right? Like 20 grand is like one wholesale deal, maybe, you know? Um, and so uh, that's why we kind of offer that because I also think like we're kind of moving away from these like CapEx heavy um, companies, uh, that's another thing that like we get investors don't even want to invest into like companies that are capex heavy they're like like a lot of people like to own stuff but um investors don't like to own stuff right because that just means your money is like sitting there not gaining interest effectively mm -hmm. but if you can build everything to a cost of goods and have that be like a consistent line item and your spin-up costs are considerably lower then um, that's just like a better business model altogether, right? So that's why we offer both of our systems as like a robotics as a service. So if someone's trying to open up manufacturing and kind of like how you said, like a lot of people do do it themselves. And um, that's why I think the co-packing game is extremely, <laughs> extremely fucking difficult. <laughs> um, yeah. Because, because people just say, I'll just do this myself. And you're like, well, I mean, I guess you can. And like, there's not enough scale to like not justify that you know it's like it's not like they need to build products for a million people right it's like really like every brand at least in california they're kind of servicing like a couple hundred thousand people 
and that's really it because their market's so small, right? How about in New York um, or in the East Coast with this whole market firing up? Are you are you making inroads over here? How, how do you see that happening? Yeah, yeah. Um, we actually sold a couple of machines in New York with some early licensors. Mm -hmm. And um, and they're pretty excited about it. And and yeah, in terms of like normal customers, like I would say ninety percent of them are just like brands, and then like ten percent of them are co-packers actually. Like in like for in New York, um, we haven't sold to any co-packers in New York yet, um, because also I think co-packers, they like co-packing can't really start at a nascent market because they don't have any customers effectively, right? And a co-packer doesn't really provide any like intrinsic value. Um, it has to provide that value through the brands that they work with. Um, and so from like a co-packer perspective, what I saw in California was that what happened is you'd be a brand, right? You'd buy a machine, you'd be like, oh God, this machine's expensive as hell. And, um, but you need it, right? Cause it's other, it's either you buy the machine or like you hire like 30 people to like put weed into jars by hand, which is crazy, right? Um, yes. But then so you buy this machine and it's so much more efficient than like your 30 people that you had 30 people employed 40 hours a week for four weeks out of the month. And then you bought the machine and you did the same exact volume in like four days. Right. And so then now um, you're like, God damn, I have this really expensive machine and it's not doing anything. So what normally happens is you'll have a brand and then they'll buy equipment and then they'll solve their own need. And then they'll talk to one of their friends and their friends, maybe like they don't have enough money to buy an equipment yet. And they'll say, hey, can like you use your equipment and like do my stuff? And they'll be like, yeah, sure, I can do that. And so then the brand will just co-pack to take up their dead time. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. that's a great idea for people looking for ways to maximize your revenue. Yeah. So I guess uh, if we just uh, wrap it out, like, uh, it's been so interesting. Um, what do you see coming down the, the road for, like, infused or just products in general, you know, any type of different methods or are you what other problems are you solving i guess that's kind of a big wide question there <laughs> yeah i mean i would say by the end of this year um the goal for my kind of technology and my company is uh really like kind of fully automating the pre-roll and fully automating the vape line mm -hmm. so we kind of have parts of that you know figured out so on the vape cartridge line we have the filling the capping the next step after that is like the packaging, like picking up these cartridges and either putting them into like a tube or a bag and, you know, doing quality control with some computer vision and being able to try to like run the whole line in like an automated way. And then the same thing on the pre-roll line. So we have the infusion, um, like we're working with some partners to integrate the infusion into like the actual pre-roll manufacturing part of it. And then put like, you know, a quality control packaging side at the end. So ideally, you know, by the end of the year, we should have like these two lines fully automated and um, like kind of closed loop, which I think is not something that anyone's really tackling. Like, and um, and I think like applying it in like an industry 4.0 sort of way, right? Where you have IoT, 
you have feedback, you have computer vision, uh, you're, you know, you're really thinking about how things move through the line. And then it's not like uh, a jelly bean factory where you can make like this style of jelly bean and like nothing else, you know, it's like, it's highly variable. Um, and I think highly variable uh, IOT manufacturing is like, is really where every side of manufacturing is going, not just cannabis, um, because now you see like what, like Ford said that they wanted to only take sales on demand, which is sounds stupid for Ford, but like, <laughs> that's like, but they said that, right? And so, um, and that's kind of where all of manufacturing is going. It's moving away from like super mass production to like hyper customization. Hmm. Is that stupid though? When you think about that's where furniture went to, right? I don't know what it takes to build a car, but it's like, well, <laughs> I guess next year, I guess that's Tesla, right? If you yeah. order it and then you get it two years you know, later, I guess it's, I don't know. That doesn't seem like a good idea to me, but, um, but also like you were saying, you know, uh, automating the whole supply chain uh, yeah. really help cannabis uh, businesses as far as regulations in their, you know, being compliant with all the regulations and the things that they have to do through the supply chain and being able to upload it right into the, the you know, the, the metrics or whoever is, you know, regulating that within their state. So um, do you have any competition? Uh... Yeah, yeah. I mean, so on the vape cartridge side, I would say uh, our kind of like the biggest competitors like Thompson Duke, right? They're kind of, um, they just been around for so long. Uh, they were like the main one. And um, and then there's like other people that are like fancy Thompson Dukes, I guess. Um, so you have like the DDS and then you have like the Vape Jet, which they're like slightly better Thompson Dukes. They all kind of work very similarly. Um, we, we work very different instead of doing like a one by one, you know, we're doing like a hundred at a time. Um, our business model is very different because that one we kind of sell exclusively robotics as a service. And then like our precision requirements are so much tighter. You know, we're doing like plus or minus half a percent with like a 0 0.2 or 0 0.3 standard deviation. Um, so like, like almost pharma, like that's at the low end of pharmaceutical grade. Um, and so like those are kind of the main kind of competitors on the on the vape cartridge side. None of those guys are really doing like IoT or like robotics. Uh, really, they're more like kind of open loop devices. Um, and then on the infusion side, uh, I mean, we kind of started the injection game. Like we launched our device in 21. Um, and at that time, we were kind of the only person. And we were basically the only person for all of 22. And then um, now we have a few people that are kind of copycatting. Um, but I think that'll probably like their their devices are like not even available. Um, like we went to MJ BizCon was like the first time we saw these people, and um and they were just basically like rejiggering their vape cartridge filling machine and trying to do what we were doing. And so, I mean, yeah, that sounds fine. Um, I guess there's two schools of thought. Like you could have one machine that does everything okay, or you could have two machines that like does each of their processes exceptionally well. And I think we approach things like kind of from the aerospace perspective where like you don't design like a B2 bomber, uh, you know, to 
carry you and your dog from LA to New York, right? Like you, you make a B2 bomber to go like launch nukes, right? And so, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so like, we, we kind of look at our devices like that as well. Like, yeah, you could get this, you know, $60,000 machine and it might fill vape cartridges like okay and give you, you know, okay results. Uh, but you're never going to be able to like scale with that one. And then like, maybe you can like, fuck with it a little bit and make it infuse joints but it's never really gonna like infuse at the speed you want or like at the fidelity you want and but then for us we're like yeah this one does you know four to six thousand an hour right and that <laughs> it fills cartridges like no one's business thirty thousand in a day and then like you know this one is going to infuse your joints like any form factor you know 800 an hour five thousand a day you know and it's like as opposed to like some weird thing in the middle. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how the competitive landscape looks. Mm. And and on the infusion side, since we were kind of the first ones, you know, we have a like a patent that's uh, still pending and should probably queue in the next couple months. So we'll see how the competitors, um, you know, deal with that once that comes down. Oh, you mean as far as how they're going to come back at you uh, uh, if 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 a patent comes out or? No, no, like we already have a patent on it. Um, oh. But it's currently patent pending, and so when the patent gets passed, because like there's no prior art to us, um, I'm gonna be sending some letters, you know. Oh, like, so. oh, 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 I see. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, got it. Yeah, for yeah, for sure. So you can't do anything yet until. But they've been looking at you and kind of copycatting. I see what you're saying. Yeah, they've been copycatting us, and so it's like, all right, well, copycat oh. all you want, you know, like. <laughs> Your time is numbered. <laughs> yeah, it's like, that's fine. Like, yeah, we have a couple of patents on it. So it's like, I guess, yeah. It's fine. Oh, well, that's, I mean, that means you're doing something right, I guess, too. And yeah. then the, the last question is, from a cost perspective, how are some of your um, customers expanding from state to state when they can't, you know, just manufacture in one state and ship it out to, to others? So that's kind of a cool thing. Um, with our platform is that like all of your settings all of like your kind of processes are uploaded into the cloud and like you have access to them like anywhere in the world um so one you can look into them but the other thing is that you can like transfer them right and so um what we're actually been doing a lot in the past six months since we kind of like hit you know like we have like 40 of these gcos deployed and um, we have a few of these uh, Omni fillers deployed. Um, we're now starting to kind of create connections between our different uh, customers and different customers in different markets. And instead of it being like, oh, I have a Thompson Duke here, I have a Thompson Duke here. And they're like, oh, well, like what settings did you use? Yada, yada. And then they like kind of mess up and they stop talking. Well, here you can just say like, like we said someone like, oh, can you, give all my settings to this guy in Michigan and he's a customer in California. It's like, okay, cool. And then like, we kind of make the connection. Oh, right. Okay. And then it, yeah, it allows okay. people to like expand their manufacturing interstate um, without the heavy lift of like changing it also please and stuff like that. And buying equipment for each state, but that, yeah, that's, yeah. that's a great idea. And you know, that, and, and I just love it also just, for the fact of making use of your equipment uh, when you're not using it and, and you know, create another revenue stream on that. I, you know, I guess people do that in different ways, like shared kitchens and, you know, it's just, it's smart to do that. So 
really insightful. Um, cool. So nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well, Pat. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.